Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 104. Would you pray with me? Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks for so much, Lord. So much that we don't think of. So much, Lord that you give bountifully every day. Forgive us, forgive us for not offering the thanks we should. Lord, our hearts tonight go to those for whom their hearts are heavy. We ask that you and your grace would be with them, that you would give them peace upon peace and grace upon grace. Be close to their brokenness and mend their hearts. And Lord, for those who are facing so many difficulties because of sickness or change of circumstance, Lord, give grace to make healing occur, but above all, Lord, grant peace that decisions may be made, that, Lord, in all your glory would be seen. And now, Lord, as we look at Psalm 104, I pray that you would give us all wisdom to look at this psalm. And that as we hear it sing to us, that it would do so in such a way that it would cause us to live more grateful, more honoring lives to you. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When writing about this psalm, the great Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann said that it is praise to God for his generous extravagance. His generous extravagance. As God is shown throughout this psalm as creator and provider for world teeming with a diverse and complex set 
of inhabitants. So what is that extravagance? What are the details? How is this extravagance enumerated in the text? Well, first, the sheer expanse of God's creation is shown in microcosm through an examination of the sea. Verse 25 says this. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. Beloved, there are more creatures on this world than you and I can even begin to understand or comprehend, and God made them all. According to the organization Ocean Census, there are maybe, they're not really sure, they know it's a high number, so they estimated at 2.2 million marine species across the oceans. 2.2 million species. That's different animals. Of which we only know about 250,000 of them. Now think about how wide that expanse is. And, and think about when writing under the inspiration the psalmist says, look how big and innumerable are the teeming creatures of the sea. And yet, they, couldn't, they didn't even really like to sail because the sea was a great unknown. And yet, they understood this. They understood how great it was. Beloved, do you understand how extravagant God's grace is in his creation today? through the sheer volume of what he has created. Now, these creatures do not exist in a vacuum. They're not just there to exist. No, God takes care of them extravagantly, the scripture tells us, over the course of the psalm. First, the psalmist reminds us that it is God who grants to each of us to all of his creatures, the breath of life. Verse 29 says, When you hide your face, they, the works of his hands, are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Beloved, let us understand a couple of things. Number one, the psalmist here is talking not just about humans are the ones who are granted the breath of life. All of creation is granted the breath of life. And the word here for spirit isn't the word that you and I might think of in relation to, say, the third person of the Trinity. It literally means breath of life. It is what is breathed into Adam. And here the psalmist tells us that it is breathed into every living creature. God's breath animates every living creature. Do we treat them as such? Do we take uh, for granted the breath of life? 
Do we take for granted access to the breath of life? doesn't stop there, though. Because we can breathe, but we have to also have something to drink, right? Verse 10, the psalmist says, You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. And then down to verse number 16. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. Beloved, you and I can't exist but for so long without water. And here the psalmist tells us that God grants us water. Now you may not think much about that. But beloved, just try to go without a little water. I'm learning this experience acutely these days. Because I don't always take time to drink. I don't think about drinking. I have other things to do. And drinking gets in the way. And so this past Sunday, it being Sunday, and I had many things to do, I did not drink throughout the course of the day. And as we rode home Sunday night after the Christmas market, I began to have this feeling that I have come to know very well in the last year or so in both of my kidneys. Why? Because I was dehydrated. And sure enough, all of my favorite symptoms in the world decided to come and pay a visit on Monday morning. Dehydration, beloved, stems from no water. You and I would die without water. God grants water abundantly, the scripture tells us. God is the one that waters the trees. Can you think about how over the last day the whole earth around North Carolina has rejoiced that in 24 hours time it got more rain than it had in the previous 80 days total? All creation sang with joy. But it doesn't stop at water because you can drink a lot, but you got to have something to eat. Verse 21 the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. And then down to verse 27. They, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it up to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. God grants us the food. The scripture here says that the lion understands. The lion running around in the jungle understands that its food comes from God. You and I think our food comes from Harris Teeter. And so we don't worry about things. Like where does our food come from? We don't worry about how much land there is to grow food. Beloved, you know I'm from eastern North Carolina. And one of the great problems facing eastern North Carolina is sea change and the rise of the seas. And as the seas are rising, 
beautiful farmland across eastern North Carolina is now getting inundated with salt water where you can't grow anything. You see, beloved, when we are thankful for our food, we are thankful for where it comes from and we speak about that. We recognize that things like desalinization rather of the land, things like droughts, things like soil deplenishment are important. And as we give God thanks, we think on those things. But it's not just food because you can have breath and you can have water and you can have food, but don't you need a place to live? Well, verse 12 says, besides them the birds of the heavens dwell they sing among the branches God gives the place for the birds to live verse 14 you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth in other words he gives a place for them to live where something can grow so he gives them a place to live and then down on to verse number 16 the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly the cedars of Lebanon that he planted in them the birds build their nests the stork has her home in the fir trees the high mountains are for the wild goats the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers God even provides a place for badgers to live beloved Think about that. God gives it in extravagance places to live. And he looks after things and people to make sure that they have places to live. If he gives the birds of the air a place to build a nest, if he gives crevices in the midst of the sea for fish to have their place, beloved, do we take time to thank God for that? For the place to live. And then he gives us the change of seasons. Verse number 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Sun rises and the sun sets. The seasons come and the seasons go. What is that, beloved? It's a rhythm of life. You know, part of our problem is, is that we have changed God's rhythm to our rhythm. We love to play with time. Right? We did a few weeks ago. We suddenly said that 5 o'clock was 4 o'clock. But really, we changed it back to what it should be because... We wanted a little extra time during the summer. We don't think about this, beloved, but God gave us the rising of the sun and the setting of the same. He gives us winter and fall and spring and summer to put us in rhythm. God exists in rhythm. The theologian Grace Kim talks about the fact that, that God in the Trinity exists as like uh, an uh, Entity and three persons dancing with one another. Beloved, we're to be in rhythm. Dancing continuously to the tune that God has given to us in creation. A tune that we don't particularly like to listen to. 
And we should take stock of the fact that we can't play around with that tune. There is a book called Wintering that I would encourage you to read. And it talks about how the body needs a time of wintering in order to appropriately survive. You know, God even instills that in us in giving us a winter day every seven days to rest. He's that extravagant. The question is, do we push through it? Do we push through it? And in doing so, do we miss the last thing that God gives in extravagance? Verse 12. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. Mark, you've already read that. I know. But now go to 15. Speaking of humanity. God says, And wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. And then down in verse 26, he again talking about Leviathan says, and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it, the sea. What does this mean, beloved? God doesn't want you to just simply exist. The extravagance of God's creation in which he gives you the breath of life. He gives you water. He gives you food. He gives you a place to live. He gives you a rhythm by which to live through the changing of the seasons and the rising and the setting of the sun. God does not simply want you to exist. God wants you to be glad and joyful. Smile. Beloved, God wants us to be happy. It is not some trite thing that I said a few weeks ago. We are to be at play in the fields of God. No, the command here of Scripture is we are to be at play in the fields of God. We are to be happy, joyful. So what are you? Or are you just overlooking it because maybe something went wrong in your life today? Are you just overlooking it because maybe you got a backache? Are you overlooking it because maybe something didn't go right in the line at the grocery store? Are you overlooking it because you've already burnt the collards for tomorrow? Are you overlooking it because the price of gas is up? Are you overlooking all this joy that God has given to us and commanded us to live in and in so doing, as you have already overlooked the fact that he gave you breath and water and food and a place to live and a change of seasons, and yes, a change of time, have you just completely lived an ungrateful and unthankful heart? Because the psalmist says that we should have a proper response to that. We should have a proper response to the generous extravagance of God. So what should that response be? Well, first it is that we should not think about the fact that it's all about us. The theological word for this is we should not have an anthrocentric view of life, but we should have a theocentric view of life. I've been wanting to say those two words lately. In other words, we're not to think about all of God's creation is about us. 
All of God's creation is about God. He just lets us play around in it. We see God's power in verses 1 through 9. We see the sheer might of who God is. And if we think that God would create all of this just uh, for our dominion, we are wrong. God creates it all because he's God. And he can. And he does so, verse 31 tells us, that he might rejoice in it. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. The earth exists, beloved, for God to play in himself. Not for us to abuse. Not for us to ignore. Not for us to just treat as something that is flippant and can be thrown around, but treat it with the respect that we would anything that we would hold most precious because God holds all of His creation, not just us, but all of His creation, the psalmist tells us throughout this psalm, precious. And so to them we must advocate and respect his creation. Verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. He says here, I meditate. You say, well, Mark, you could be talking about any number of things. Beloved, this is in a psalm in which he has talked about rock badgers and he has talked about goats and he has talked about birds of the air and he has talked about Leviathan. And if you'll notice in that verse, he talks about our little tiny ships going on the sea. The clearly here what he is meditating on is all that God has created, all that God has done. And he says, I will rejoice in what God has done. I will give my praise to him. And in giving my praise to him, I'm just not going to make it verbal because we remember back to Sunday's sermon that it is not just about the talk that God is expecting from us. It is about the walk that God is expecting us, which means that we must go and advocate for his creation as well. We must go and hold it up and treat it tenderly and magnificently. Why? Why? Because, beloved, creation points to one thing. And we sort of see that in the fact that there is only one spot in this entire psalm that is negative. One spot in this psalm that is negative. What is that psalm, that spot? Verse 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. What is sin? Sin is not simply telling a lie. Sin is not simply, uh, you know, giving extraneous uh, hand motions to people who cut you off in traffic. Sin is not losing your temper. 
What is sin? Sin is going against the will of God. Period. And because of that, we can find sin in any number of things. And the, the, the psalmist here says, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Why? Because the psalmist has understood. The psalmist has understood that God in all of his creation, as he has meditated on it for 34 verses, God has created it all in harmony. And God has created it all in abundance. And God wants creation to experience daily that abundance in all that it has. I'm going to go back to joy for a second. Do you want to know how much God wants his creation to experience joy in abundance and in harmony? Scientists have proven that rats imagine. Now think about that for a second. Rats imagine. Now you and I imagine killing them probably. As one person said, a rat imagines coming and taking your piece of pizza and scurrying off to its home in the gutter with it. And how good that pizza is going to be. If God can grant imagination to a rat, beloved, don't we think we should take care of all of God's creation and rejoice in it? Don't we think that we should always seek to maintain its harmony? Don't we think that we should always work to make sure that God's creation and all of his creation has a place to, to live? In other words, to maintain the habitat that they have. Don't we think that they should have the right to water? Don't we think they have the right to clean air and the change of seasons? Don't we think that that's all important, beloved? Because ultimately when we do that, if God rejoices in his creation, then that means that we enable God to rejoice. If we live a life of thanksgiving for the generous extravagance of what God has given us, we enable God to rejoice. But we also enable one other thing to be seen. And that is the fact that all of creation, we are told in Scripture, points to God. And if God is generously extravagant there, then that means it also means that it points to grace. It points to grace. So not only, beloved, this, the fact that we can't be the sinner here by mistreating God's creation, but we also have to understand that all of creation helps us to point to the one who builds the bridge between God and the sinner, Jesus Christ. And that we come together in extravagance and take images of wine and bread to remind us of that abundant grace. And as we do, I must ask you to think for yourself, what were to happen if we didn't have these things here? If the earth was not able to produce the grape from which we drink or the bread which we consume, if there was not a supply of water or arable land, would we not be thumbing our nose at God's gift 
And would we not therefore be limiting our ability to be a witness to the gift of God that is Jesus Christ? So, beloved, what is your response to this generous extravagance? Do you live in it extravagantly? Do you enjoy all that God has created? Do you live a life that is joyful? Do you live a life that is respectful of creation? Do you advocate for God's creation? Are you thankful for God's creation? You say, yes, 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 yes. Well, then let me ask you, can you be a little bit more extravagant? Can you be a little bit more extravagant? That's, I think, what the psalmist is meditating on here, ultimately. You know, I'm reminded of my father as I conclude. Came home one time in high school with a report card. We had four classes, and my report card said my grades were 100, 100, 100, 100. Hit the mark, right? Can't do any better, right? You know, my dad had the audacity to ask me, is that the best you could do? Couldn't you do better? I said, Daddy, they don't put extra points on there. He said, well, go find out what they are and come tell me. By the way, I did tell my world history teacher that I had so many extra points that he ought to save them up for my brother because I'm sure he would need them. But beloved, you see how important joy is right there? You could always be a little happier, right? You could always be a little bit more thankful. You could always be a little bit more concerned about what's going on in the environment around you. You can always enjoy a little bit more of that grace you know what? I think we got enough outside. You can take some home with you. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can, beloved. Because God calls us to His table to feast bountifully. And part of our problem with how we look at all of what God has created is that we think that we need to narrow it all down to a little bitty thimbleful and a little bitty stale cracker when God says, come feast. And so, are you properly responding to generous extravagance or are you being a miser? God says, come gorge. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.